In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thanks so much for joining us, and happy Friday, friends. Happy Friday. Let's meet the crew. I'm Brett Molina. I play video games. Uh, What's getting me through this week is the usual, which is NBA 2K. I tried watching the Snyder Cut of Justice League, and I started falling asleep. So (laughs) here's my review so far. (laughs) I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies. And what's getting me through this week is obviously still Madden, Madden 21 forever. Um, WWE Battlegrounds with my kid. And Falcon and Winter Soldier, which we're going to get into uh, next week in depth. But um, yeah, that, that show's rocking my world. Well, there we go. If this is your first time listening, welcome. New episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. While you're on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could write a quick review about the show. By doing that, you help other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. As a bonus, we give you a special shout-out on the next episode. So try it out. Tell us what you want to see moving forward. It is all upside for you. Don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Mothership Pod. Or you can send an email to mothershippod at usatoday.com. Let's get to the main topic. Here is a clip. The Smiths broke up. What? what? You know, the Smiths may be dead, but all the albums are still here. I wish there was a way to get all the posers in this town to take notice. I did have an idea. Something that would go down in musical history. Impress me. What do you want? There is a young man in the radio station pointing a gun. So, um, for the rest of the night, I will be bringing you the music of the Smiths. Don't touch that dial. That was from Shoplifters of the World, out now on video on demand platforms. The comedy drama is set in 1987 and follows a group of Denver youngsters who go out for a wild night of self-discovery when they find out their favorite band, The Smiths, has suddenly broken up. The movie stars friend of the pod, Joe Manganello, and today's special guest, Thomas Lennon, who stars as a grump record store owner who likes anybody but The Smiths. You might know Tom from many movie and TV projects, such as Reno 911, The Odd Couple, Night at the Museum, and the classic MTV sketch show, The State. Thank you so much for being here. What a pleasure, guys. Hi. <laughs> so let's start here. How are you doing during the pandemic? Um, you know, there's a certain kind of sociopath that does very well uh, in a time like this. And it turns out I'm exactly that. Even my own psychiatrist has said, like, oh, yeah, you, you, it charts that you, <laughs> you as a crazy, like, OCD, obsessive, compulsive weirdo who has already had germ stuff and already was maybe a little antisocial somewhat. Yeah, that that make, it's going to check out that you're going to do you're going to thrive. <laughs> so it's been a it's been a, I mean, we've been just crushing it, been crushing it, having a great 
not a great time, but getting a lot done, getting a lot done. You know, I don't know if I feel good, probably, probably crazy, but that's okay. Yeah. Are you close to getting the vaccine at this point? I can't imagine I'm on that list yet. Um, I don't know when we get to, I think I made a joke. I said, when do, uh, uh, when do nineties MTV comedians (laughs) get, uh, get the vaccine? And I got lots of post that on Twitter. You'll get a lot of very funny responses. Uh, people put me in order after uh, right after like Jenny McCarthy from Lip Service and uh, Simon Rex and all of the cast of all of the um, real worlds. So, yeah, uh, as soon as I can get it, can't wait. Can't wait because I do love things like Comic-Con, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love being I love being in weird venues. With like sweaty nerds and stuff. <laughs> well, who doesn't? Honestly, who doesn't? Seriously. So, uh, tell us about your character in Shoplifters of the World and how you got involved. I understand you're a big Smiths fan. Did it hurt your soul a little bit to have to play someone who didn't like the Smiths? That was the that's the that's the super fun part about me in the movie, um, which is sort of a love letter to the music of the Smiths, and, and that's what's fun because I play a character called Uncle Dick, who <laughs> owns this record store and hates the Smiths. And it, it was very fun for me because Joe Manganiello, who made the movie and uh, plays uh, Full Metal Mickey, the DJ in it, we're both, I mean, we're probably two of the world's biggest Smiths fans. And they're like, oh, there's a, there's a character in the, early in the movie who like just despises the Smiths. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's so fun for me to be because it was also fun. There's actually, maybe it'll come out on the DVD. But as a diehard Smiths fan, you also live your life, you know, with people who genuinely hate the Smiths. Uh, including like my own father, who I think banned me and my sister a certain point from singing along with Morrissey in the back of the car because it bugged him so much. Um, so I got to, I think there's a different take. I said something horrible about the Smiths in like every single take of my scene with um, uh, with Eller in the beginning of the movie. So uh, that was fun because it, was, it comes from a lifetime of people telling me things that they don't care for about the Smiths uh, and why other bands are so much better than the Smiths. <laughs> And then me getting into like very passionate, lengthy fights about why that's not true. Yeah. So where were you in 1987 when the Smiths broke up? Obviously, the movie's very much about like how these young kids kind of deal with mm-hmm. this loss in their life. How, what, how did you deal with it? Well, that's, this is one really interesting detail, which is, yeah, this is a movie about the day that the Smiths broke up uh, based on a somewhat true, possibly apocryphal story about uh, a kid who takes a DJ hostage and... Uh, Denver, Colorado. Now, I living in Chicago, you have to understand that, like, I, I think you, kids have to remember, like, in 1987, there, there was certainly no cell phones and there certainly was no, like, the no, a computer was a thing that was down at the library or, like, would run, like, the airport. It wasn't like everybody had computers everywhere. You know, we were just coming out of Atari and Commodore 64s and things and about to move into, um, you know, like, the like apples i mean i went to college a year after that with a typewriter so i actually the smiths had broken up and i did not know that for a long time like i was still listening to the smiths i just assumed oh these guys must not be on tour (laughs) but i had no idea that they despised each other and were never going to speak again (laughs) and it would be like a famous grudge and they were actually probably the time that i was really listening to the smiths they were basically suing each other in court in England, um, preparing to never speak to each other again and then turn down touring opportunities for the rest of my natural life. But yeah, I never, I didn't really know about it <clears throat> until 
uh, years, uh, probably a couple years later. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, they never put out another record. So um, that aspect of the movie might be slightly dramatized. I think if you lived in England and you, you know, got the new music express every day, maybe then you knew like, oh, the Smiths broke up yesterday. But I, I certainly did not know because I was very busy listening to Smith's vinyl and leaning out a window in the Chicago suburbs, smoking cigarettes out the window all day long. That's basically <laughs> what I was doing. So you were actually in a Smith's cover band, right? What was that like? I am. I am. Uh, a couple of years ago, I joined uh, the Sweet and Tender Hooligans, which is sort of LA's premier uh, Smith's and Morrissey tribute band. Um, and it's been, it was really an amazing thing for me. I've been friends with the guys in the band and, and, um, one of the guitar players quit and then I filled in for a couple of shows. I, I, I can't really make it my full-time job because I, I do have other kind of full-time stuff that I do, but I do, I do play with them quite a bit and not every show, but almost every show I play with the Sweet and Tender Hooligans. And I, I'm really glad I did it. It, it one, the main thing that it did was it made me a substantially better guitar player because of the sheer, the, fear of playing Johnny Marr guitar parts in front of a live audience because Johnny Marr guitar parts are absolutely, they're all as hard as you could possibly imagine. They're crazy hard. They're never predictable. They often don't repeat in a way that would make sense, which is why the songs are so great still. Um, so yeah, once I joined the hooligans, I, I, I became, my guitar playing got probably 10 times better just from just living in sheer terror all the time of messing up. Also, the, the main guitar player in that band is kind of a jerk, and I love him very much. But he's one of those guys that he'll, he'll make he'll stop you and look at your hand and correct if you're doing something wrong and make you go back. <laughs> and he'll 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 shame you in front of a room of like adult men. It's just it's a horrible way, to, but it makes you better. It just keeps making you better. So um, that's a very fun band to play with, the Sweet and Tenor Hooligans. Um, I'm sure when the world opens back up, we'll be doing some shows. How much of an overlap is there between? You know, the, the Smith songs you love to play and the Smith songs you love to listen to. Oh, um, there's quite a bit, actually. And actually, honestly, learning how to play them only makes you appreciate them more, especially for like level of difficulty. I mean, like there's a couple of Smith songs. There's the, the, the song specifically like This Charming Man, which is the one that starts, you know, like. I think to learn just the main like Johnny Marr guitar part of that song took a, a year of constantly working on it, like pretty much all the time, at least a couple of times a week, for sure. Like really putting in like serious time. The, the songs are super, super hard. Yeah. But it's why they sound so good and they still sound so good. So you've been in movies with musical co-stars, uh, Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi, Zac Efron, et cetera. Yes. Who did you have the most fun acting with? Um, for musical co-stars, here's a, here's a, my, my favorite thing about John Bon Jovi and it's really specific. So <laughs> I was in a movie that I don't know if I've ever seen it called row your boat. Sometimes you're going to be in a lot of movies guys and you can't see them all. Cause you know, and then a lot of them are absolutely terrible. Um, that's just going to happen. So I was in a movie with John Bon Jovi <laughs> called row your boat. And we shot this movie. And I think we shot it. It was like probably like 1990 or 91. It was really, really early, uh, early 90s. And had to like spend a whole day just doing the scene with John Bon Jovi. And I can't remember much about it, but we shot it at like this um, like shelter down on the Bowery. And that was it. And I remember thinking, 
And then I went outside and John Bon Jovi and I smoked a couple cigarettes together. And I was like, this is fun. He's cool. He's got cool hair and everything. And then I didn't see him for five years. Like years went by. Didn't think about him again. Didn't run into John Bon Jovi. And I was in Cologne, Germany. Making a movie called Boat Trip. Hold your applause till the bit. <laughs> Hold your applause for the movie Boat Trip. And my, like my scene in Boat Trip kept getting delayed. So all that would happen is I was in Cologne, Germany for like a week or more. And I would just go out and eat schnitzel and then drink like German beers, which are basically like one is like four beers, really. So suddenly your face is hot and you're just like you're full of schnitzel with a hot face and you're confused and you're just walking around Cologne, Germany. And I got back to the hotel and I'm definitely like high on schnitzel and my like German face beer hot. And I look in the lobby and I see way across the lobby is John Bon Jovi with his whole band because they had just played Cologne, Germany. And I hadn't seen him in five years since I spent one day with him. And he looked at me across the lobby in Germany, drunk and covered in schnitzel face. And he went, Tom. <laughs> and I was like, that was really impressive. Like, I obviously remembered who he was because he's John Bon Jovi. But I, I remember thinking that's a very different kind of like guy. And I was super impressed. Anyway, he's a lovely cat. And then we hung out. That was a bummer because there was like a part. There was a party with Bon Jovi's band and I arrived at it already very tipsy on strong German beer. <laughs> so I couldn't I certainly I don't think I added anything really like fun and witty to the <laughs> to the rest of the event because I was already like, I had schnitzel. <laughs> yeah, but um, John Bon Jovi, that was cool. I felt kind of some other music people. I was in what to expect when you're expecting with J-Lo. That counts, right? Yeah, that, count, that does count. We did some karaoke in that picture. Everybody's favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, here's a weird uh, little, little detail. I'm in um, I'm in uh, Shoplifters of the World because of Joe Manganiello, who I met on What to Expect When You're Expecting, because he played like cool, dreamy, hunky guy, and I played little weird weirdo, which is the way that usually works. Yeah. Um, oh, what did you? Uh, the next question was: Would I play my guitar for 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 a role, or would that be too much? Your two of your passions kind of colliding too much. You know. I don't think I've ever really played my guitar too much in anything. On Re- I pl- occasionally on Reno 911, I play it. But one time I did play my uh, guitar for someone, and it was uh, not someone I was expecting to play guitar for one day. Is uh, I was in that Clint Eastwood movie called The 1517 to Paris, mm-hmm. which was kind of a weird picture. It was where those guys played themselves, who were like the heroes of that amazing event, but they like all played themselves, and it was kind of weird. But so. I always carry around my little Martin backpacker guitar on set just because like you got to kill time. And if you don't smoke anymore, you got to do something with your hands and like just find some way to burn up the time. So I was noodling on my guitar and I was actually playing the Smiths. I was playing, practicing the Smiths uh, song, the headmaster ritual. And I was all alone in this little room. And then Clint Eastwood came in and just sat with me because they were moving equipment around. And he was like, no, no, keep, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Just keep playing. <laughs> and I, so I sat, alone in a room with Clint Eastwood and I played him all of the Smith's headmaster ritual while he kind of popped his head. And I was like, this is a great day in show business. I mean, no one will ever see this or know about it. And the movie turned out pretty weird, but I did get to play the Smith's for Clint Eastwood, which was, uh, it just felt like a great day. Felt like a win. Yeah. <laughs> did, <laughs> did he know who the Smiths were? Or I wouldn't No, we didn't bring that up. I, okay. By the way, I didn't sing. I, I don't have that kind of moxie. I wasn't like, oh, look, Clint Eastwood. Oh, look, Dirty Harry. 
I'm gonna do belligerent goes. <laughs> no, so I did. I didn't have the balls to sing, but I did play for him. And then we talked about music because he's like a very serious piano player. Oh too. yeah. So uh, we ended up having like a great kind of music hangout chat. But yeah. Oh wow. But I didn't have. I didn't have the courage to sing. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So you were also on one of my favorite shows uh, that I used to watch all the time in high school and college, which was The State. Which oh, yes. for our listeners that don't know mm-hmm. was a classic sketch comedy show on MTV. It produced several successful actors, including yourself and Carrie Kenny yeah. and Joe Latrulio. Of that group of of actors and comedians that you worked with, who would you say is the funniest? Not counting yourself. Ah, uh, um, that's a really it's a weird group. Yeah, we met. We were all eighteen at NYU, so it's got Michael Ian Black, Carrie Kenny, David Wayne. So like basically all of the shows, like Wet Hot American Summer, Stella. Children's Hospital, Reno 911, Viva Variety, all of those things came out of the state. Um, of that group, oof, I hate to say it, I, I might have to go Ken Marino. Ken Marino's so, when, he, when Ken Marino's really in the zone, there's really nobody like him. He's pretty amazing. Um, he's also saved my life twice, so maybe that helps. Like during, like when we were in the Greek islands and I wiped out a Vespa, he was the guy that like threw me over his shoulder and literally carried me to a Greek hospital. Um, so maybe that counts for something. The state, you know, we weren't like, we're not a, we're not a giggly bunch of folks. Like the state was, we kind of was good because we were mostly very intense. We, we kind of thought, we thought we were like a punk rock band. You know, we were like, everybody else sucks. Comedy sucks. We're going to come in. We're never going to do like recurring characters. We're never going to have catchphrases. We're just going to be like, absolutely. Um, you know, we're going to be like anti-establishment, which is funny. If you look at the state now, like we could not be more of the establishment <laughs> just across the board. It's like, we somehow went from, yeah, the people who were like, we're going to do our thing. You'll never tell us what to do. And now we're like, do you have a favorite character or skit that you remember from doing the state state from the state? Um, the state's a tough one. There's some, I mean, of my own sketches that I wrote for the state, I'm really, really proud of obviously like porcupine racetrack, I think really holds up. There was, um, we did a game show called mind match where you win orphans. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I was always really proud of that one. There's a, there's a lot of great stuff on the, the state. It, weirdly. Oh, I, I guess I should make a plug. You can see all of the state on Paramount plus now, all of it. So the entire run of the state is, uh, easily streamable. Um, and most of Reno 911. So, uh, and very soon, as soon it will be all of Reno 911 will be on Paramount plus, but right now it's most of it. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good state sketches. My, my favorite one of mine would probably be porcupine racetrack. And my favorite sketch of somebody else's would probably be taco man. One where the, uh, Kevin Allison's delivering tacos to people's mailboxes. <laughs> That's a pretty solid sketch. Still holds up. Well, and speaking of Reno, obviously you know you were on Quibi for you know the five minutes that Quibi a hot minute. You call that yeah, the hot mm-hmm. minute that existed, the hottest of minutes. <laughs> um. So will so will the the new season be on on Paramount Plus? Will you be doing that uh, soon? All of the so there's a Quibi season which was called Seven, and then we'd shot a whole other season which was a real season eight of full half hour episodes. That those are both going to air like immediately or now on Roku. So uh, if you have Roku, you'll get those two seasons. And then quite shortly after that, they will all be seasons, all of Reno, like seasons one through eight. And I think the movie 
and we're gonna do another, we're doing another Reno movie too. So there'll be two Reno movies and at least eight or nine seasons. You'll be you'll be very sick of Reno Nine One pretty soon on Paramount Plus. I think. <laughs> Anything you can tell us about the uh, these upcoming movies for Reno Nine One One? The Reno movie, uh, I can tell you right now, yeah, because they already released the title. Because they they pitched the title to us. They said, "Here's what we want the Reno Nine One One movie to be called: Reno Nine One One, The Hunt for QAnon." And they said, can you come up with a movie based off that? And we're like, absolutely. We've done stuff. We did a whole sketch called Weasel in the Wall. <laughs> we're like, absolutely, we can come up with it. And then the weird thing is we thought we were just kidding. We're like, oh, we're not really going to movie called The Search for QAnon. And then accidentally, we ended up kind of writing something that weirdly made that make kind of make sense. But I can't say too much about it without giant spoilers. But it does seem like we are doing that movie. It will be on Paramount+. Plus. I think we're shooting it like this even this year maybe soonish so yeah well it's been um, probably enough time since the you know the original run where you're gonna find a whole new batch of fan you know streaming fans who will be new to them and they can like you know it'll be re- reintroduced to a whole new generation well that, that's what's what's one thing that's super weird about reno number one is we shot the pilot so it didn't the, the show did not get picked up when we shot the pilot it actually we did it. For, we shot it for Fox, and they said no, thank you. They passed, and it sat, sat on a shelf for three years before Comedy Central picked it up. So we actually we shot the pilot in the year two thousand, and so that means this year this is twenty one years in those really really stupid shorts. <laughs> which so it was a funny idea at the time. You're like, that's funny. I'm going to wear these stupid <laughs> shorts that hurt really bad. I didn't know I'd be literally fifty years old. <laughs> Well, 50. Well, yep. what was your reaction though? Like in, I guess it'd be 2003 ish or so when like three years after the pilot, you get a call and you realize, oh, this is actually going to air after all. Like, had you given it up was on really it shocking? Point? Oh, we had definitely given up. Yeah. Um, it was interesting because what, what happened was um, we'd shot the Fox pilot, felt really great about it. It almost made the air at Fox. Almost. There was one, one scene sort of helped keep it off the air at Fox, which was dangle pulls over guy and it ends up, dangle ends up making out with his dude for like a long time it was a very funny scene but it kept making everybody at fox was very nervous and they're like we can't do this it's too it's too much and we're like mm, that's what we're doing we're gonna be once again we're gonna be the punk band and they're like no nah, it's too much for us and we're like ah, we're leaving it screw you and they're like okay we're not picking up the show <laughs> and it was like oh well we just learned a big lesson they had all the cards in that scenario didn't they yeah we played hardball but we had nothing to <laughs> We had no hostage. We'd killed the hostage. <laughs> um, so we ended up uh, Comedy Central would come to us and they're like, we tried other stuff that failed and things, you know, we wrote tons of other pilots and shot, even shot other pilots. And then Comedy Central came to us and they're like, we need something that's like unbelievably producible. Like it can't cost any money, like daylight exteriors, ideally like handheld cameras, like it feels like a, is there any reason a show could feel like a documentary. And we're like, we're like, you don't want to see this, this cop spoof that we did for Fox. Cause originally we thought we were going to be on after cops. So we were just doing, we did like a note for note. I mean, we even put the Fox logo, the bug down in the corner. So it looked just exactly like cops. Um, and we said, you guys wouldn't want to see that. Would you? And they're like, yeah, sure. And we showed it to them. They're like, we're buying it. We're buying it. <laughs> and then they literally bought it. The only weird thing was because Fox owned the literal tape that we'd used to film the first pilot we had to recreate it 
like scene for scene and bit every single bit we had to actually physically film again even it was identical and looked identical it couldn't actually be from the piece of tape that fox owned of the show called reno 911 hmm. so that was just a strange detail but yeah <laughs> you mentioned you've been busy during the pandemic um what are you working on now or do you have stuff that's going to come out, you know, what, you know, in a few months and years and stuff? Uh, there's a couple of things going on. Ben and I are always writing some movie stuff. So there's a couple of movie things that we're writing. Um, but the bigger things are, I've got the third of my, I, I do a young adult book series called uh, Ronan Boyle. So the first one's called uh, Ronan Boyle and the Bridge of Riddles. The second one is called Ronan Boyle uh, and the Swamp of Certain Death. And the third one, which comes out in November is called uh, Ronan Boyle into the Strange Place. So um, that's been enormously time-consuming. I don't know if you ever wrote a novel, but holy cow. I tried once. <laughs> I tried once, never again. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, I did it three times now, and it'll just about kill you. If you were like, boy, I like writing, but I really want to crush my soul and feel like there's no end in sight. And yeah, d- yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'd, I feel like I'd be the kid in high school who would just write varies because I want to pad out the word count and stuff. So my book would have like varies in half the pages the whole time. <laughs> just the margins keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, no, but so yeah. And then I've also I'm also writing the movie adaptation for DreamWorks of the Ronan Boyle book series. So there'll be, uh, you know, if things were to all go well, a movie, uh, an animated DreamWorks feature film based on the Ronan Boyle series in about. 2024 which is closer than you might expect is that going to be cool for you to kind of see that i mean you've you've done you've done so many characters and so much work over the years that has made it on screen is that going to be a cool thing to have that character in that world be presented is that going to be a different kind of creatively cool thing it's very it's a totally different weird thing to yeah to go to like you know, like you write a movie and usually they do the scene and they always tweak it, obviously, and change it. But, you know, sometimes your scenes and your work come out, you know, word for word, exactly what you meant. Often it gets changed in a way that it's like, oh, that was weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then with the with the the book, the animated movie based on your book, it is weird because it, it almost looks exact. I mean, it's like someone just drawing something that was just in your head. You know, it's just like, oh, here's the thought you had in your head. And now there's like a team of like eight people who are rendering it and like what the wall looks like behind the little person and such. So it's, um, it's been a very new and very strange experience. That's pretty fun. Yeah. So far. Yeah. It's also very stressful, but otherwise really fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. It's really great talking to you and best of luck with your career and everything you've got going on. Thanks, Lance. What an absolute pleasure. Okay, listeners, it's your turn. Are you a big fan of the Smiths? If so, what's your favorite song? Let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod, or you can tweet at us directly. I'm at Brett Molina23. And I'm at Brian Truitt. Don't forget, you can email us too. We're at MothershipPod at USAToday.com. That'll do it this week. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of the Mothership this week, Natalie Boyd. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to the Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. While you're there... It would be awesome if you could leave a rating or a review. Helps other people find the show, and we love the feedback. If Apple Podcasts isn't your jam, you can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your pods. Until next week, nerds out. Later. <laughs>